Let's pray as we come to the word this morning. Lord, we ask uh, in this time, in this space, that you would open our ears and soften our hearts, Lord. That we may once again be be changed, transformed by your love and by your word, Lord, ever more increasingly in your likeness, in your glory, and for your kingdom. Amen. This morning we come to the second last in our Kingdom Living series where we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount in in Matthew chapters 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And and we've been really exploring in, in the heart of what Jesus is talking about here is what is it like to live in the Kingdom? Because following Jesus, being a Christian is not just about awaiting that, that, that day one day when he will return or when he will call us home and we are taken to be with him. Being a Christian, following Jesus is about a transformational relationship. It's the benefits and the blessings of living with Jesus today, tomorrow and every day. So if you, if you want to jump ahead and, and open up your Bibles, we will be getting to uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. But before I do, I want to ask you some questions like, have you ever had a hobby that's become just a little bit more than just a hobby? Like you started playing golf for fun and maybe got a couple of lessons and then you became pretty good and so you went into a few competitions maybe won a few competitions and and this became more than just a casual hobby, became a dedicated thing that you go and practice for, that you train for. Maybe you're good at making things, good at fabrication and you start with just a couple of small projects and then you help out some mates and before you know it you have so many things on the go that you don't know what to do with yourself. Maybe you're the creative type. You enjoy decorating and things or, or craft or, or baking things. And, and before you know it, what, what started out as just being creative and, and making a few cakes for family and friends is pushing its way into becoming an actual business, a career. There's a moment where we have to make a decision. Is this a hobby Or is this something more? Is this for fun? Or or is there more to it than that? Am I I trying this out or am I going to actually invest in it? Now these examples that I've given you are examples from people that I know. Uh, I know a man who it started fabrication, fabricating parts for cars and improving exhaust um, manifolds and things like that was, was a hobby. Now it's his full-time business. I know a lady who started making cupcakes and macarons and and, and and birthday cakes and wedding cakes. And now she has a shop in Gladstone. At at some point along that line, they had to ask themselves, they had to determine their relationship with these passions. Is this a hobby? Is this just something that I enjoy doing or is it going to be something more more to it 
I think a, a more common experience for all of us lies in the realm of relationships. We all have acquaintances. We all have people that, that our personalities, we just think we, we click and we gel with. And at some point, we have to DTR. We have to have a, a conversation with ourselves or with them, DTR. DTR stands for determine the relationship. We have to come to that point where we define the relationship. We define what is it on about here. Are, are we just passing acquaintances? Are we, are we friendly to one another? Or, or are we going to actually actively and intentionally seek one another out to invest in this relationship together, to go deeper, to share the things that really concern us, the things that really bring us great joy? Is there that deeper connection? Whether it's as, as mates, whether it's a, a romantic thing, at some point we get to that place where we have to define the relationship. Over the last couple of months, we've been looking at what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus, what it means to follow him. We've seen Jesus lay out the type of character and heart and attitudes that we should see developed and growing in our lives if we're in a relationship with them. There was a, a long time ago, we were a part of a church down at Inogra. And just this week, I saw posted on Facebook, there was an elderly couple, Keith and Audrey Smith. And they celebrated their 70, 70th anniversary, wedding anniversary, this week. How incredible is that? 70 years. It's something that I've known, Linnell and I, we've been married for just over 20 years. And I know that through that relationship, through investing in that relationship, I'm different. I've been changed. I've been changed by my relationship with my wife. And the same is true for Jesus. He says, if you're investing and if you're engaged in this intimate, personal, dedicated relationship with me, you will change. And, and we've been looking at the ways in which Jesus says, these are the ways that you will, you will change. We see them in the Beatitudes and we see them in all of the other teachings throughout the Sermon on the Mount. As we look at today's passage right at the end, Jesus is challenging us to have a DTR chat with him. Define the relationship chat. To really examine where we are with him. Is this a casual, comfortable thing? Is being a Christian more about maintaining a lifestyle that I like or that I'm or am I committed to the radical change in my heart? Am I willing to surrender my hurts and fears and to pursue a love for the lost that can only come from God? Am I willing to lay down my presuppositions? my prejudices, both known and unknown, to see God work in my life in radical ways, to change me in radical ways? That's the question at the heart of this DT, DTR. To look at Christ's challenge, we'll be exploring his calling out of Jesus' fanboys and fangirls. The reality is that it's so much easier to be a fan instead of a completely committed follower of Jesus. So you're ready? 
to move past the casual, to move past the convenient into something more devoted, something more committed? Are you ready to have this talk with Jesus? For some of you, you may not be because you kind of like the setup you have with Jesus. I mean, he's a nice guy. You like going to church, it gives you something to do on the weekend and it's awfully nice that we can get into some morning tea afterwards. You kind of like what you have going on here and the idea of being more committed, the idea of being committed to radical change in our hearts and in our lives and the, the idea of surrendering who we think we are and allowing God to come in and change our attitudes, to change the way we think, the way we, we react. That's not comfortable. That's not easy. You might get a little anxious. You might feel a bit of the, the fight or flight response where you want to dig your heels in and become defensive and, and, and come up with all these excuses of, of why that should be okay. Or, or maybe you want to, every, every fiber of your being is just wanting to turn and look to the door. How can I get out of here without anyone noticing? That's okay. That's okay. I think it's important to acknowledge some of those feelings. I want to encourage you, if, if you're sitting in that space right now, hang in there with me. It might be, feel like you're standing right on the edge of a cliff. But my prayer this morning is that if we can stick in this together, that God will do something incredible in our hearts and in our lives. So here's how I'd like to ask the question. Are you ready for that DTR? Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Now you might ask, why am I asking that question? Well, we're all followers, right? That's why we're here. Don't, don't jump to your answer too quickly. The word fan is defined as an enthusiastic admirer. We're all fans of different things. Many of us are sports fans. We watch the games. We cheer on our teams. Some of us own the jerseys of our favorite players. We understand the concept of being fans of sport. But my concern and Jesus' concern for us is that in our church and in our lives and with our faith, we have the potential to very easily become a stadium full of fans for Jesus. And he never cared about having fans. If you define a fan as an enthusiastic admirer, then fans were not important to him at all. You see, I think we have a tendency to come together once a week. Sunday becomes a bit of an idol for us. Have you noticed that? And, and I think COVID has, has brought around this, this idea that, that sun, Sunday is sacred. And I, I wonder, I can't help wondering, and, and this is something that God has been challenging me on lately. This fear of, of being locked down, that we, 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 the government would say you're not allowed to come and gather to meet on a Sunday. I, I wonder, I just wonder whether God is saying to his church around the world. Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
You've been locking me out of your lives six days a week. And yet you're getting upset about the possibility of a Sunday. A fan is committed only as far as it is convenient and comfortable. Jesus doesn't want us on a Sunday, on game day. He wants every day to be a game day. He doesn't want us up in the stands. He wants us on the playing field, running quarterback with him, riding down the outside ready to catch that, that long Hail Mary throw for the touchdown. We can feel pretty good about ourselves because we can be, we can be these great admirers of Christ. But he doesn't want admirers. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls out these admirers, these fans. Matthew 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those that are on the sidelines, championing, championing Jesus with their voice, complaining about the condition of the world, Jesus says, you do not get to inherit my kingdom. There's no ifs, there's no grey areas here. It's black and it's white. Who, who gets to inherit the kingdom of heaven? The one who does the will of my Father. On that day, Jesus says in verse 22, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your names and do many mighty works in your names? And then I will, declare, will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, so what is it that makes the difference between those who are doing the will of God and those who are, who are hiding behind routine, who are, are, are fanboys and fangirls who are, are just going through the motions? What, what is the, the difference? And the difference is, are you completely committed to surrendering your heart and your life and every fiber of your being to Jesus? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? If we're really honest with ourselves, if we really search our hearts to begin to define our relationship with Jesus, we have to ask, are we genuinely committed followers? Is there evidence of God's grace, compassion, love in our words, in our lives? Or are we more defined by our bitterness, our selfishness, and our desire for our own comfort and security. As we examine this, as we, we seek to define our relationship with Jesus this morning, there are three questions that are going to help us examine that. The first one, why are we here? This morning, why do we come to church? If you read through the Gospels, Jesus at different points in his ministry would draw a line in the sand and he would separate the fans from the followers. One such instance we, we find in John chapter 6. Jesus in, is in the height of his ministry. As we read uh, large 
that large crowds were following Jesus. He was very popular. He was working the miracles. He was providing food from just five loaves of bread and a few fish. And a lot of people in the crowd were following Jesus around. But Jesus in verse 2 realizes why they were coming. Let's have a look. John chapter 6. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Why were they following? Because they'd seen the signs that he was doing. The miracles and the wonders. They wanted to be caught up in the hype and the excitement. They wanted to be a part of that. So why are we here? What is our because? Is it because we like the, the morning tea afterwards? Is it because we, we, we feel like the, the seats are comfortable? We like the music. Is it because we like the social catch-up and it's a place where, where our kids can make friends? Is that your why? I mean, that's great for a while. But at some point, we need to define the relationship. Why are you here? In the passage, Jesus challenges fans to a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. Throughout the rest of John chapter 6, Jesus teaches about the importance of finding our strength and nourishment in him, of being completely immersed in our, in immersing our lives in Jesus. And towards the end of the chapter, he says, Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood... You cannot be a part of my family, be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And we pick up in, in verse 60 of chapter 6 in, in John. When many of his disciples heard it, we're not talking about the 12 here, we're talking about the multitudes who had been gathering and, and following and, and listening to his teachings. They said, this is a hard saying, who could listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are of the Spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who, who those were who did not believe in who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. A lot of them went home because Jesus says, Let's define what we've got here. And what he offered isn't what they wanted. They wanted the free ride. They wanted to get caught up in the excitement and the fun of it. It may be time for some to just go home because you've come for a while and you understand things and yet you're coming in more and more for the miracles, more for the show, more for what Jesus can do for you. And he wants there to be a point where you define the relationship. Why are you here? What is your because? For Jesus, his because is that he wants to have a deep transformational relationship with us. 
The second question, are we all in? Matthew chapter 8. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. At what point do you find yourself drawing the line in following Jesus? Jesus had no church building that he went into once a week. Jesus' ministry was not once every seven days. It was every single day. Everywhere he went, every person he met, every person he spoke to was an outworking of his relationship with the Father. This passage in Matthew chapter 8 takes place around the same time as the previous one in the height of Jesus' ministry. Matthew records leading up to this passage that Jesus had cleansed a leper, healed the centurion's daughter, healed many. It's fair to say that many were following Jesus because of the fad, the excitement for what they could get out of it. But a relationship has to be two ways. Being a follower of Jesus is not about just being loved. It's also about loving back. Jesus' words to the scribe and the other disciple may seem harsh, but the truth is Jesus knew their because. You see, Jesus had this wonderful reputation. And for a scribe to be a disciple of Jesus would be like saying, I have a Harvard degree or an Oxford degree or I went to Cambridge. You know, There's this prestige around it. And Jesus knew that the because of this scribe, the reason why he really wanted to follow was for the comfort of being around someone so prominent. You see, he thought that Jesus lived a very comfortable life in a, in a comfortable house with, with all the food and comforts that he would want, with servants looking after him and the disciples that would be under Jesus' tuition would be the recipients of, of all of these comforts. And, and out of it would come this nice, flashy label, Disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. That's my, my credibility. That's my credence. That's, that's what I get to get out of it. And, and so Jesus gives this scribe a, a very harsh reality check. If you really want to follow me, it's not going to be the bells and whistles that you think it is. It's not going to be fame and glory. It's going to be a whole lot of heartache. It's going to be hard. And it's going to require a greater sacrifice than you could ever imagine. A sacrifice that is greater than you could possibly count today. Are you willing to follow with that? The other disciple wanted to go and bury his father, which seems reasonable and Jesus responds follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead this is surprising because it seems to contract contradict the practice of honoring the dead and honoring your mother and father however this would only be true 
if the man's father was already dead. It's understood that in this disciple's case, his father was not yet dead. He may have well been ill or well advanced in years, but for this man, he just wanted to put off following Jesus until it was a, a little more convenient, a little more comfortable, when there's a little bit less that he had to worry about, less that he had to surrender. Jesus' response is then emphatic. He makes sure that the scribe and the disciple and everyone else know that to follow Jesus requires a person to be completely, absolutely committed. A follower of Jesus will do whatever it takes to follow him. They're absolutely loyal, completely committed. On the whole, we don't do too well with absolute commitment, do we? I think whether we prefer selective commitment. I'm a long-time Brisbane Lions supporter. I think during their heyday, I must have watched every single game. I've got to confess that uh, since probably around 2013, 2012, I could probably count the number of games I've watched on one hand. Why? It's not fun investing you know, two hours on, on the weekend or more watching your team get absolutely annihilated, is it? So I'm a selective fan. When they're doing well, when they get into the finals, I'll watch their games. I'll support them. I'll follow them. That's why the teams that are at the top of the leagues often get the, the most number of supporters and followers and they sell the most merchandise because everybody wants to be a part of that. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not absolute commitment. That's not what it means to be a follower. And simply put, we like to customize Christianity. We look at our relationship with Jesus and say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to kind of pick and choose the areas in which I will follow him. I'll pick and choose the, the circumstances that I will give and surrender and sacrifice. And when I'm hurting, I'll determine whether I forgive or not. I'll follow Jesus, but don't talk to me about money. I'll work hard for that money. I'll follow Jesus, but, but don't tell me to abstain from these sexual desires. I, I can't help the fact that I have these desires. Don't ask me to abstain. I'm a follower of Jesus, but that won't stop me from getting what I want. They seem pretty out there kind of things, but the reality is that these are the inner turmoil that we all have as Christians, that we all go through. We all have these conversations where we seek to redefine the relationship on our terms, the way it, it suits us. And the reality is the relationship that we're wanting to define is not a relationship that is built on radical transformational change. And Jesus says, that's what I'm offering. You're either all in or you're all out. When you decide to become a follower of Jesus, you've got to go all in. And fans, they don't like the idea of going all in. They're not wild about having to make the sacrifices or having to deny themselves something that they desire or that they crave. So we've looked at the first two questions. Why are we here? What is our because? 
Are we all in? And thirdly, have we made it our own? Many of us start going to church because a parent, maybe mum or dad, said that we had to. It wasn't an option. Or maybe you started coming because of a boyfriend, a girlfriend or a spouse. You, because, you came because they like it when you come. You came because it appeased them and made them happy. For those of us who grew up in the church or who attend church in order to appease a significant other or relative, it can be re- really easy to become a fan. It's like riding in the car with someone who listens to a particular type of music that you're indifferent to. You don't hate it. and You're not necessarily a huge fan of it. They'll drive you to school or work every day and every morning it's the same. It might be something like Aerosmith. I don't really care that much about Aerosmith. I don't hate them. I don't really like them, but I think it's fine to listen to. If they come on the radio, I'm not going to switch them off. But eventually... A few songs grow on you and a little bit, little bit by little bit and you find yourself humming along to the melody. Before you know it, you're singing at the top of your voice with them, I don't want to miss a thing. So you might say that you become a fan by being immersed with them. That can happen to us in church. We, become, we, we come to appease someone. We come for the wrong reasons. We come because it's not about our intimate, transformational relationship with Jesus. And we kind of think, hey, this is all right. I can handle this. I can enjoy this. These are nice people. There's morning tea afterwards. Who doesn't like a good cuppa and, and a bicky? Bit of a conversation. The problem with that is that we can inoculate ourselves to the impact of the gospel. We become so used to the status quo that we, we never actually define the relationship with Jesus. We never actually take that step to, to really commit, to really surrender. The reality is that our faith is not our own. Our faith is really just leaning on, attached to that of our significant other. Jesus is looking for a deep, personal, intimate, transformational relationship with you. That's one of the reasons why he said in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is using the word hate here as a comparative word. He's comparing our love for him with the love for other things in our lives. Let me give you an example. I like a good cake like the best of them, particularly if it's, if it's like one of those really moist mud cakes, chocolate mud cakes, a dark chocolate mud cake. You know the ones that kind of stick to your mouth and, oh, they're good. I like a good good cake. But if there, there's another option, if there's an option of a cheesecake, cheesecake wins every single time. Like we might, we might say a mud cake rates around here. But for me, like th- there is no comparison when it comes to cheesecake. Cheesecake is like sky high, my number one pick. And so when people would see me going and and choosing cheesecake every single time, they might think that, hey, he doesn't like mud cake. The only thing he likes is cheesecake. 
And that's the point, is that it's not that Jesus is saying that we have to hate our mothers and fathers, our brothers and sisters. He's saying that if you don't love me and live for me and live with me in such a way that people might be confused, to see the way that you prioritize me above all other things, then you don't get it. You can't be my follower. I coined a phrase a a number of years ago. Jesus is my cheesecake. Jesus is my cheesecake. I want you to just take a minute to think, what is it in your life that for you there there is no other option? There's no other choice. Maybe it's a type of food or, or a beverage. Maybe it's a time of year that you like or, or a hobby that you like to do. And, and, and that, you know, if you were given options, there would be no other option. Maybe it's like you have this tradition of watching like the Australian Open and every game and, and you've got to see the Australian Open because there is nothing, not even the cricket could, could distract you from the Australian Open tennis. Jesus is the Australian Open. I see Jim nodding his head. <laughs> You know, and that, that's, a, that's a high bar because we know how good the Australian cricket team historically has been. <laughs> a little bit easier now. What is Jesus like for you? What is it that you need to be able to put in your mind to say, this is the priority that Jesus needs to have in my life? In Matthew chapter 7, And then later on in Matthew, in Matthew 25, we have two very different pictures of how people consider themselves Christians will be received by Jesus. As we've seen in Matthew chapter 7, there are the pretenders, the fans, the ones who are following Jesus. It's more about them than about Jesus and his kingdom. It's more about their comfort than their sacrifice of, of leading the lost to Jesus. They want to be in the mix around the hype and and the miracles, but they're not willing to be changed. They're not willing to acknowledge their brokenness. They're satisfied being spectators. And to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But for the faithful servant in Matthew 25, Matthew 25 is, is the parable of the servants with the talents. To one is given one and one is given five. One is given ten to the faithful servants who put to use the talents, the coins that, that Jesus gave them. Jesus comes back and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much, enter into the joy of your master. We don't have to have the world to make a difference. Jesus isn't asking us all to be Billy Grahams, gospel singers, but to each one of us. My favorite passage I think in all of the Bible, and I know I change this a lot, and I know I've got lots of favorites, and every, every Sunday I've just about got a new favorite, but one I always come back to is Psalm 139. Just that reflection of David. 
you knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Not only have we been knitted together, stitch by stitch, our personalities, our, our, our strengths, our weaknesses, God knows every one of them. He, he, he created us. But by the power of his Holy Spirit, he has anointed us with a wisdom and authority that is not our own. And he says, a completely committed follower says, I'm all in. Everything I've got, everything I am, everything I could ever be is yours, Jesus. I know that I can never count the cost of what it will cost me to follow you. I know I could never fully appreciate today what the rest of my life, the cost that I'm going to make, the burden I'm going to carry in order to follow you. But I'm in. Every minute, every hour, every day, every moment, I'm yours. Well done, good and faithful servant. He doesn't require perfection. He simply asks for authenticity and obedience. So where is your relationship with Jesus? Are you a committed follower or are you a casual fan? If you're a committed follower, I've got one more question for you. How's it going? You see, we can be committed followers who say, Jesus, I'm all in. And then we struggle. We battle. We wrestle. We hurt. He's not about perfection. He's about authenticity, intimacy, and obedience. So how are you going as a completely committed follower today? Is there something that you need to surrender to him this morning? Say, you know what, God, I can't. I can't handle this anymore. This is hurting too much. This is worrying me too much. I need you to take it. I need you to carry it. I need you to make me whole again. just want to finish with one final reflection again from Psalm 139. At the end of Psalm 139, David, someone we know is a completely committed follower of Jesus, who, who God had declared was a man after his own heart. We know that he fell significantly in his relationship with God. In Psalm 139, his response as a completely committed follower of Jesus, who was doing it tough, who was struggling, was, Search me, O God. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. Let me encourage you. If you're a completely committed Christian, it doesn't matter how well things are going or how hard things are, make that your prayer today. Trust that he is your refuge and your comfort. and He is our peace in the midst of the storm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just we come this morning and Lord... All of us here, we want to know you. We want to know you more, more deeply, more intimately. Lord, we want to be changed. But it's hard, Lord. It's, it is so hard sometimes. 
There are things that we get comfortable with. There are things that we get used to. It's hard, hard to give them up. So like David this morning, Father, we, we pray, search our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you lead us and guide us in your ways. Lead us in your glory, that your kingdom may be seen and known to the world around us, that your peace and your love and your grace and your mercy may make a difference and transform, transform the lives, not only of ourselves, Father, but of everyone we meet. Amen.